but that's the thing that Al-Anon taught me and that's why I read the reading I did because I got the family I never had and I got these people and these adults that I look up to who yeah they're not my aunt or uncle or grandmother or whatever but feels like it and I do things with them that I've wanted to do with my family that I haven't been able to do or can't do. Welcome to episode 301 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Craig, Penelope, Sally Ann, Eric, and Patty. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you, Craig, Penelope, Sally Ann, Eric, and Patty for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me today is Genevieve. Welcome, Genevieve. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. Um, as you were doing the opening, I just, I love, I love the opening, honestly. And it made me think of um, the closing that we read when newcomers are here. And it says, when it talks about, you know, we, we've all had your problems too. Right. There are those among us who've. Yeah. Those are those among us who've had them too. Yes. And I, and I love it. And that's what kept me coming back to program. And I always get chills whenever they read that at meetings because I know as a newcomer how I once heard a speaker say, you know, unique our problems can feel and how we're we're so special and unique and our life is, you know, the worst or whatever um, and no one can understand. And it's so great to be able to empathize with people. Terminal uniqueness is what it is. She yes. said a lot of times we suffer from terminal uniqueness. And I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> Oh yeah, nobody else yeah. has my problems. Oh yeah, exactly. And then you go into a meeting and you're like, "Oh, just kidding." <laughs> Wait, have you been living inside my head? Exactly. Oh my gosh, any meeting no matter where I go to. I've been to meetings in other countries. I've been to meetings all around the US and I go to a meeting and no matter what the circumstance or what where this person is from, I can always identify with something they say. Well, you picked a reading for us to open with today. I did. Yeah. So this is Hope for Today, the Daily Reader. This is page 105, April 14th. We are Al-Anon family groups. The word family in our name is very important to me. The Al-Anon family extends far beyond the traditional family, consisting of mother, father, grandparents, siblings, cousins, aunts, and uncles. I'm so close to the members of my Al-Anon family that I consider their family mine and mine theirs. This includes members of Alateen AA and even, even those who never find the gift of recovery from this family disease. Today, my Al-Anon relatives and I lost a special member of our spiritual family. Together, we traveled the rough terrain of grief, sadness, empathy, and heartache. We hugged, cried, sought solitude, prayed, and reflected. We faced fear, besieged faith, and experienced new peace. Although this extraordinary person is no longer here in physical form, the memory of his unconditional love encourages us to seek and offer each other unconditional love and coping. Even in the midst of death, we grow. We stretch toward life. 
No one will ever be able to replace this generous, loving, funny man, but today my memories are full and life goes on. I will laugh again. I will fondly remember the good times. I will find new people to love and will miss them too when they are gone. So the cycle of life and acceptance repeats itself. Today I know that no matter what happens, nothing in this world is as strong, powerful, and all-encompassing as the love and friendship I receive in my Al-Anon family. Thought for the day. Today I will accept the things I cannot change, as well as appreciate the life my higher power has so abundantly given me. Al-Anon has given me everything, the desire to live, love for my fellow man, courage to face any difficult situation, the serenity to accept certain realities and hope for the future, as we understood. Well, that's a powerful reading. Um, yeah, what, absolutely. <laughs> how, do, how does that speak to you? So when I came into Alateen, I had never met other people who knew that they had grown up or experienced alcoholism. And I was still figuring out how alcoholism and addiction had affected me. And I'll kind of get into that later because I didn't actually grow up with active alcoholism. I kind of made this family and this bond and it's continued to this day. I have, you know, one of my best friends in the entire world. I met him in Alateen and we've been friends for about six or seven years now. And I knew my sponsor, my Al-Anon sponsor, she was an Alateen sponsor when I was in Alateen. And, you know, we, we all go through that, you know, I don't know about you, but whenever the holidays come around, it's like this hand around my throat and I'm like, okay, here we go. Like brace yourself. And most of the times it ends up being fine. And like, that's, that's my stuff I have to work out. But we have holiday parties and I have every year I have a Christmas party where we do a Yankee swap and we actually write all of, out all our resentments and we burn them at the end of the night. Mm. Um, and we talk and it's, and it's great. And everyone brings food. And then last year, one of my friends in Al-Anon, he had a Christmas party similar and put out a big spread for everyone. And it was just so nice. And to me, what Al-Anon, the biggest thing Al-Anon has given me has been fellowship and this group of people they, who just get it and you don't have to explain anything. And, you know, whether it's people and like it said, Al-Anon, AA, Alateen, it's this this thing and this bond that uh, brings us together, and it, I just think it's really beautiful. How in this in this world and how we live in, how often are you in a room of people where you don't know what people do, people's education levels, if whether people are married, single, their religious uh, affiliation, um, their political affiliation. And none of that matters. And you just sit in a room and talk about something that isn't that. And you, in some cases, you don't even know their last names. And I just think that's really what's beautiful about Al-Anon and Alateen and, you know, AA as well. Well, you sort of started uh, telling us a little bit of your story. You want to uh, yeah. continue with that one? Sure. So I'm, I'm from Massachusetts. I, I always tell the story when I speak. I think it's I think it's funny. So if people are listening and know the story, I apologize. But when I was twelve, I came home and there were all of these balloons everywhere and presents and cards, and it said to my mom, "Happy and like seventeenth anniversary." And I was confused because I'm like, it's not Christmas, it's not you know her birthday, it's not anything like that. And my parents are divorced, so it's not an anniversary of theirs. What the heck is going on? Mm. And she sat me down and explained that 
she was an alcoholic, which I was like, no, you're not. You don't drink. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And she said, no, I know I've been sober for 17 years. So she was sober about five or six years when she had me and she's, you know, 30 years sober today. She celebrated 30 years back in May, which is awesome. She told me this and I didn't believe her because, you know, she she has a, a good job. She's, you know, a well-established person. And to me, you know, it was the stigma of, oh, all, alcohol, all alcoholics are those bums under the bridge or, you know, are people but are bad people, whatever. And then I went to an AA meeting with her when I was like 13, it was open. And I saw a guy in a suit and I was like, what are you doing here? I was like, oh my gosh. So a couple of years later, she was actually the AA liaison for the Massachusetts Al-Anon convention. And for some reason, I think my dad was out of town or whatever. So I couldn't stay with him. So she was kind of like, okay, you're, you're coming to this thing. And I was like, what, what is this? And <laughs> went to the convention and I went to an Alateen meeting. And mind you, I had just learned two years before my mom was sober. I didn't know. She kind of started to tell me about our family disease. It, like in my family, it is a family disease, man. Like shake the, you know, my family tree and beer cans fall out. <laughs> Seriously, like we could go back to caveman times and trace the addiction. So I went and I I walked into a meeting. And the thing with Alateen is, everyone's still like growing up. So there's a lot more (laughs) excitement and uh, like, you know, people don't have the maturity or the, the, the ability to hold things back. So everyone runs up to you and everyone's excited and hugs you. And I'm like, what the heck? Like get away. Um, I was sitting in this Alateen meeting and mostly most, I also felt out of place because most people were older than me, but I felt really out of place because everyone was sitting there and talking about, these things that they had been through with their parents. And I had been through none of them. Mm -hmm. Like I remember there was the story of a girl and she talked about having to take her keys away from her mom because she was trying to drive drunk and just other stories like that, where now it's so I, you know, when I go into a meeting, it's so commonplace. But back then I was like, do I belong here? I've never done any of this. I've never gone through any of this. So I felt really out of place, to be honest. And when I went to my first meeting, I didn't feel that, oh my gosh, okay, like I'm home. But I did socialize and it was good. And I went to two more conventions before I finally was like, okay, I think, I think I'll give this a try. And at that point it was good because my aunt's heroin addiction was really kicking up. And my cousin, he had sort of, I would say a mental breakdown because he was doing a lot of hallucinogenics and his mental health was suffering. So it was really good actually. And then I went to the convention, started in Alateen. At this point I was 16 and then I was turning 17 and then I stayed in until they kick you out at 20. They don't kick you out, but <laughs> you obviously can't go past 20. So it's so funny. We always joke. We're like, well, you can graduate from Alateen when you turn 20. And then I, I did the transition in into Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. And here I am at 24. Let me just recap a little bit here, Genevieve. So mm-hmm. what I understand is that your first exposure to Alateen was at a convention. Yeah. And, and so you're like your second and third, like you only went to the Alateen meetings or whatever it was at the convention? Yep. Yeah. So those, my first convention and then the one at the next year I went because it was really close to my house. It was only like a 20 minute drive down the highway. 
So I was like, okay, whatever. If I don't like it, I can always leave. But we would stay at the hotel, which I always like because, you know, I feel like it doesn't interrupt my day. And then I went the year after, which was in 2012. And then in 2012, I really, I started going to Alateen meetings outside the convention. So there, there are a good amount in Massachusetts. A few have disbanded or moved or, you know, that's something I can get into yeah. later as well, which is very unfortunate. And then I went to regular meetings. I would go to about two meetings a week, Alateen meetings a week for three years. And then I transitioned into Al-Anon and now I go to, you know, multiple meetings a week or used to anyway. Can you pinpoint what made you decide to start going to meetings? Yeah, with with Alateen, honestly, it was really the social aspect because at the Massachusetts Al-Anon and Alateen convention with AA participation, it's people from all over the state. So it was a lot of Alateen. So there was about, at that point, maybe 20 to 30 of us. So it was a lot of people. And now it was more people my age. It had been people I've seen you know, two or three years in a row. And they'd say, Hey, you know, we have a meeting in this town or this town, you should come. And I'd really gotten to know these people. So for me, it was the social aspect of it. And it was, Oh, these are new people and new friends. And I like them. And we kind of have this connection of disease and of addiction in our family, which again, I didn't feel affected by then. Now I know looking back, I was, but I didn't feel affected then. So what really kept me coming was the fellowship, like I said before, and the socialness of it. And unfortunately, that's what I focused on a lot in early in my recovery was just sort of, okay, what are we doing after the meeting? Are we going to dinner? You know, Mm -hmm. let me call this person and let's hang out. And it wasn't the meeting actually. And then a few things, a few things happened to me and to my family. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to really start buckling down and giving this thing a try because what I'm doing is, is just simply not working anymore. So at the beginning, you found social connection. Mm-hmm. Did you also start to hear this message of recovery sinking in? Oh, yeah. So that totally. when you needed it, there you were? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. They have at every Alateen meeting, there needs to be two sponsors who are called amiuses, which is an Al-Anon member in Alateen service. And that's just because, you know, a lot of the teens are under 18. They need to make sure the meeting is actually happening. It's a safety issue. You know, if God forbid a parent comes in or, you know, it's kind of it's to protect the teens and two have to be at every meeting. And I would hear the amiuses speak and they had been in Alateen and then transitioned into Al-Anon. And I would hear them and I was like, I want that. They just had this peace and this serenity. And I was like, well, I hope when I grow up, I have that. There are a couple people, one who I'm, I'm still very good friends with. She is four or five years older than me. And she would speak and she was always on the panel. And I looked up to her so much because she would say all these bad and awful things that happened and were still happening to her because her dad wasn't sober when she would speak. And I was like, how is she doing that? So it was just, it was this want and this hunger for this calmness and serenity and peace that I did not have because I was just angry and upset and really confused as to what was going on in my life at the time. And I really felt like I had no direction. So it was what people said about how they found sanity and serenity that, that really stuck with me. I'm sure that they're all different, just like all Alana meetings are different. But what does an Alateen meeting look like? Is it open sharing like most Alanon meetings? Is it what, what's going on there? It really depends, to be honest. 
most of the Alateen meetings outside of conventions that I've been to are in the same place and time as an Al-Anon meeting usually. So a lot of times the parents go to Al-Anon, kid goes to Alateen. We read the same opening. It's just Al-Anon is changed into Alateen. Basically, it gives a little blurb about the amiuses, and it really depends. Every meeting is different, just kind of like Al-Anon. My home group, we did something different every week. So week one of the month was a step. I believe week two was open discussion. I think week two, we based the discussion off the reading. Week three, we had this thing called the blue sheet. So we would do things like craps, which is like compliment yourself, a resentment you had this week, an amends that you made or have to make, a problem you're experiencing, and then a solution. So little things like that. Or, you know, we'd play we do a gratitude alphabet or one time we wrote out people we needed to make amends to. We made resentment lists. So it depends. And there is actually Alateen literature. I, I wish I wish I had brought it when I moved. So I read from Hope for Today, but we have a daily reader. There's actually an Alateen fourth step book where it's very watered down. It's like a very watered down version of Blueprint for Progress, which is great. And you know, things are a lot simpler and it's a lot more focused on feelings and things like that. Yeah. So most of the time it is open discussion, but steps are talked about. There usually is a reading at the beginning. They do Alateen anniversaries. So a lot of the teens that I know or that I worked with or were friends with or still are friends with, they would organize, like they organized a coffee house to get money. I don't know if it was for Mac, which is the Massachusetts Alateen conference, but you know, they would organize like events where people would come in from the program and people would make baked goods and there'd be raffles and performances. It really is very similar to Al-Anon. It's just, a lot of it is just the age difference, but it's very similar opening, closing. There's a secretary, they have business meetings. There are service positions, but again, every meeting's different, but Mm -hmm, these are the mm -hmm. that I've been to either as a teen or as an amius. When I first started in Al-Anon, I tried to get my kids to go to Mm Alateen, and it didn't work. (laughs) I know so many people who have been to Alateen, and they'll start off and they're like, my mom bribed me. There's one kid, and after every Alateen meeting, his mom would take him to Burger King. And then after like a year in, he looked at his mom and he was like, mom, we don't have to go to Burger King anymore. (laughs) I know so many teens who have gone, you know, okay, I'll give you this. Something that also works too, that I've heard a lot of was my mom or dad told me, go to one meeting and if you don't like it, you never have to go again. Yeah. I I gave them money, like (laughs) five bucks per meeting, Nice. uh, which when they were 12, it's a good rate. It's, you know, it's a significant amount of money when you're 12 and, and Absolutely. you know, 15 years ago or whatever it was. I think, you know, it just didn't click for them. And I think the yeah. social aspect may be part of it, that they didn't yeah. connect with the other kids in the meeting. I know one of my kids expressed, like, they absolutely did not want to talk about their feelings. And yeah, so absolutely. that was that was not not easy. But once I... I was traveling with them and I went to an Al-Anon meeting. There was an Alateen meeting at the same place and the woman, and I think I only saw one adult, which, you know, that's also interesting, but that was leading the meeting said, 
Oh, they're too young for this meeting. This is like a lot of like 18 year olds and, and, and the topics would be just be too, you know, too mature for them. I was like, mm-hmm. well, shit, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so they got to sit in the hall and play on their Game Boys, which I'm sure they much preferred to, you know, going in a meeting with a bunch of strangers while I went in my Elena meeting. But I was like, that just, yeah, it didn't feel good. No, I mean, there's a lot of, unfortunately, in program, as I'm sure you've seen in a business meeting or two, politics, not like politics in the real world. I mean, politics within the program can come into it. And I know there can be a lot of debates about Alateen, for instance, in Massachusetts, a big thing right now is they're trying to put Alateen meetings in schools. So either like after school, you know, bell rings at 2.30, the meetings at 2.45, or even during free periods. So there's a lot of debate. Well, it's not really anonymous then because you're going to meetings with kids in your school. Any kid can just go in and find out whose mom or dad's an alcoholic. Or, you know, then there's some people who are like, well, there's no other time in the town and this is the only way the kids will go. So there can be a lot of, I think it's because it has to do with kids Mm -hmm. and for sure. But I'm, I'm a very, I'm a huge advocate for, I'm very much like, it's the kids, it's the kids meeting. How about we listen to what the kids want? You know? Really? What a shocking idea. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's why during, (laughs) it's so funny because during, I'm a bit of, not a rebel, but I'm a bit of a, I definitely say how I feel kind of person. And in Amy's training, you know, they'll be talking and they'll be saying all these things and asking the questions. And I I raised my hand on one of the trainings and I was like, I really think we should have teens be in here and listen. And I know they can't know all the rules and stuff, but a lot of these questions, the teens could answer very well. So (laughs) I, I really, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's for them. It's not for us. You know, we have a business meeting for us and we decide what goes on in our meeting and how we, you know, split up the money or do we want the anniversary on this date or this date or if there's coffee or not or whatever. So I'm very much a fan and a proponent of let the teens decide what they want to do in their meeting, what they don't want to do. Cool. Yeah. I have heard the phrase, uh, teen group sponsor. Is that the same as Amias or is that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, they've just changed the terminology or something. I'm not sure if that's like a Massachusetts oh, thing. I mean, okay. they do say a group sponsor, but you do have to go through training. You have to register. You actually, in Massachusetts, you have to do a quarry. So you have to do a quarry check, background check, right. um, so to speak, just to make sure, you know. I think, no, you can be an, you can be an AA if you're a double winner. You have to have been active in Al-Anon for three years, two years, I think it's two or three years. And you have to, then you actually get references. So you have to give references and phone numbers to people in Al-Anon and they, you know, the, the area office calls them and says, Hey, is, you know, has Spencer been going to meetings? One of the questions they actually ask is, are they mentally stable enough to handle being around kids and hearing their stories and things like that? So they just make sure like everything is in order. And then you actually do a training which talks about, okay, if you hear about a kid getting abused in a meeting, what do you do? You're not supposed to be alone with the teen. You're supposed to have another teen or another amius. Sounds sounds a whole lot like this this stuff I get at church. 
Really? As a, as a yeah, we we've got a pretty strong safety policy around mm-hmm. people interacting with our children and youth, and I actually helped write it about fifteen years ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every year when I sign up to be an instructor, um, a facilitator, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, depending on the age group, right? They do a background check. Uh, oh, totally. I have many times thought about, you know, helping to lead the Alateen, one of the Alateen meetings here. And, mm-hmm. and at this point in my life, I don't have the time and energy. I'm putting the energy into other things, but uh, I have gotten the paperwork a couple of times. And, and again, yeah, like you say, they, they ask for references and they want, you know, whatever driver's license number and stuff that they can do a background check with. Yeah. Absolutely. And I totally, I think, I mean, especially, especially for people working with kids who are coming out of um, families that already have issues. Mm-hmm. I think that's so important. Don't want to make it worse, for goodness sake. And Oh, my God, no. Absolutely not. And like the two, the two adults rule or the, you know, the, the, you can have one person or, or three or more people in a room. Yeah. Kind of rule. Yep. So basically, yeah. So that's, it, that's for my protection too. Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 It's another, it's another, it's another person to validate or invalidate something that happened. And it's, yeah, it's for the Amius's protection and the teen's protection. And for instance, if there is an Alateen meeting and one of the Amius's doesn't show up, they can't have a meeting. They can, you know, sit around and talk program, but it's not a formal meeting. And that's why it's so important when you make the commitment to be an AMIUS to honor the commitment and yeah. go to the meetings and go to the conventions and be there for the teens. And I get it. It makes sense. You know, some people can't do it, whether it's work or time commitment or kids, or I know some people who would be great AMIUSes and they, they've told me, they're like, I can't do it. They were like, I would be crying every meeting, hearing these kids talk about it. They were like, mentally, I just wouldn't be able to handle it. And that's fine too. But you know, I'm, if you're going to make the commitment, because if two amuses don't show up or one doesn't show up, they can't have a meeting. And that's a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they deserve a meeting just like, you know, anyone else does. So what are some of the other differences between the Al-Anon program and the Alateen program as, as you've experienced it? There's definitely more crosstalk in Alateen. That's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. A lot more crosstalk. There was actually one of the meetings I, I went to as a teen. We actually put in the opening because we got crazy with it. And it's and a lot of times it would be the younger teens, and I get it because it's such an age range. You know, I would be 19 in a room in a meeting with 12 year olds. Seven years isn't a lot when you turn like 20, 21, but teenage years that's like a that's a it's an eternity. It's a, it's a whole generation exactly. almost. Yeah. Yeah. As you probably heard, I've been working with seventh graders at my church for the last three years and I'm doing it again this year. I'm crazy that way. Even within that group of people who are in seventh grade, hmm. there's a huge maturity range. Last year we had a couple of kids who like they quote had to respond to just about everything somebody said. You know, yeah. <laughs> they had to put their little, their, their little, Oh, that happened to me. Or I, you know, and it just, right. It's, it's, it's their personality and, and you try to work mm-hmm. with that. Right. But I totally understand like how hard it would be to not have crosstalk when you've got somebody who's in that, you know, who has that personality, who has that, you know, way of relating 
And think about it too. You know, they don't, some of these kids, they don't get an opinion at home. They don't get a say, they don't have a voice. You know, it's all about someone else or this situation, or, you know, maybe they just want to hide, you know, maybe they, they choose to not have a voice or whatever the case may be. Plus that kids will yell out. I don't want to say, I'm going to say teens because they're not kids. I have to work on that. I have that Um, issue too. I I try to say youth. That's a good one. Youth is good, but you know, they'll make like someone says something and they'll make a, a movie reference or a TV reference or an internet reference or whatever. So it actually, we put it into our opening that you had three chances not to cross talk. So we would ask, and if you broke it three times, we'd ask you to leave the meeting and that never ended up happening, but that kind of whipped everyone into shape. And we, wow. we voted that into the business meeting. We were like this. And it's, it's so funny. Cause I was an Amius at that meeting when I became an Amius and I would hear it in the opening and be like, I was part of that. Like I, we, me and like two or three other teens put that into effect because it got so crazy. And I think it's so important that you as teens did that. It wasn't something the adults imposed on you. What are the differences have you seen? It's it's gotten better in the last few years, but there was definitely a lack of wanting to do service. And I don't know if that was because this was when I was a teen. And I don't know if that's be, because they didn't know how to do service. It wasn't explained. They didn't need to do it, whatever. But there would be times when, you know, we had to get someone to chair the meeting and it was like pulling teeth and it was like, okay, who's going to do it again? And so many times, whether it's because I'm an only child or I have a theater degree and I was in theater on all high school, whatever it may be, I would always be like, I'll do it. And everyone was like, <laughs> oh my God, Genevieve again, like we all know your story, girl. <laughs> but yeah, so that was, that was definitely a big one. And I think a lot of it too is probably based off maturity, but like in some unhealthy Al-Anon meetings, a lot of it's the problem and not the solution. It can be a venting session. It can get off topic for instance, not off topic, but you know, some teens and maybe this is them processing or this is all they can talk about. They'll talk about, you know, their problem of the week. Oh, you know, I have this assignment due and I haven't done it and I've been procrastinating or, oh, vacation ends tomorrow and I don't want to go back to school. So sometimes the the discussion point, you know, if the meeting's on step one or detachment or whatever, that won't be talked about, you know, or they'll talk, oh, I have a crush on this boy, you know, and it's stuff they need to talk about. So I think that's a big difference between Alateen and Al-Anon is the, uh, the difference in what is discussed and uh, staying on track and keeping with the topic. I, I will say that I have known some Al-Anons who are like, I just got to talk about this. It's happening in yep. my life this week. Yeah. I know it's not connected to, to the, the step or the reading of the day, but I understand. Yeah. So one of the things that you wrote here is that it's harder for teens to get out of this, their situation. Um, yeah. How does that change? I don't know. I, <laughs> you wrote it. What, what, what were yeah. you thinking there? <laughs> well, I've talked about this with teens and with people in Al-Anon and a lot of the people I know in Al-Anon, my good friends in Al-Anon are amiuses. So they hear it a lot. And I'm not minimizing any issue that an adult who's dealing with addiction or alcoholism goes through. But when you're a teen, you're kind of stuck there. If your parent says you're not going out, whether they're drunk or sober, there you just have much less of a say in much less control of your life because you're dictated by 
a parent who may or may not be sober and who may or may not be mentally stable or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Al-Anon, when you're an adult, you have a lot more wiggle room and a freedom and control. You know, if your spouse is the alcoholic, you know, not saying that you should do this, but you can separate or take a break or drive away and leave or get a divorce. Or, you know, if it's your kid, you have the power to kick them out or have them do drug tests or, you know, whatever. Whereas when you're a teen, everyone's telling you what to do and you have to not listen, but you don't have much of a say. So a lot of teens are, like I said, just stuck in their situation and kind of have to deal with it, whether or not they want. It It seems to me that that makes the availability of meetings more important for mm-hmm. those, those teens. Absolutely. I mean, in, in Massachusetts, I can't remember, I should have looked it up before the recording. I'm trying to think how many there are. I don't know anymore. I think maybe last time I checked, there were between 15, 10 and 15 active meetings. In the whole state. In the whole state. And, you know, Massachusetts, it's, it's not a huge, it's not a huge state. It's not tiny, but, um, it's, it's not huge. And then, you know, you go to places like New Hampshire, there's one Alateen meeting in the whole state of New Hampshire. One. Yeah. There's, I don't believe there's any in Maine. Hmm. Yeah. And it's not like this isn't an issue. I mean, see the news, people are ODing like crazy. It's not like, oh, the problem went away, so we don't need meetings. So a lot of what's been going on in the last two or three years in Massachusetts when we have Amy as workshops or, you know, the spring or fall assemblies, a big topic is how do we get the teens in the room and how do we make more meetings? And and I think a hard thing too is, you know, when you go to a church or a hospital or wherever your meetings are held, they're oh, it's kids. Oh, it's teens. That can be a big detriment into, oh, we're going to give this space to not unsupervised, but teenagers. Whereas, you know, people assume with adults, there's more responsibility. So I don't know if that's an issue or I don't know. It's, it's, we're still trying to figure it out, but definitely the availability of meetings is imperative to teens. Yeah, I'm just looking at the meeting list for District 5, which is yeah. the the area that I'm in. It basically covers more or less the county. Right. And there is one. Wow. So I don't know what it is in like all of Michigan, but in in this area, the basically the, the greater Ann Arbor area, if you want to call it that, which mm-hmm. I, a lot of people who live in other communities would would. Not like that that term, but whatever. Totally. One meeting. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking right now. I'm going to see how many there are in Massachusetts. I know, too, for a while, meetings weren't, Alateen meetings weren't listed. Right. Because it's a safety issue. Yeah. The, the current list, and maybe it's because the Alateen meetings at the same time and place as an Al-Anon meeting, mm-hmm. um, does have time and location for that meeting. I think that in the past there was there were some meetings that were just Alatine. There was not an Alanon or an AA at the same time, and those were like call for details. Yeah, yeah, that's a big one as well. Uh, which does make it harder to <laughs> to find it, right? Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, Thirteen in the whole state. 
Oh, that's that one's in Rhode Island, so twelve. <laughs> and there's one in Rhode Island. Which, uh, two in Rhode Island. Oh actually. wow! <laughs> which, granted, Rhode Island's not huge, <laughs> but still, it's yeah. So yeah, there aren't a lot of them, and mm. like so many people haven't even heard of Al-Anon. Probably less people have heard of Alateen. Oh my gosh. I even, I wrote that as a point just to, to tell a story. When I went, when I graduated from high school and went off to college, I was 19. So I was still a teen. So first day, first day of college, I go to student organization club person. Cause my school was pretty big. I think it was about, I think we had 52,000 undergrads. So, and it was yeah. a big campus. That's pretty big. Yeah. Um, it's actually, I went to school in, in Toronto and I actually live there now. So I go, I go walk on over to the you know student club and I'm like, hi. And I, I ask, oh, do you have any Alateen meetings like nearby or on campus? And the girl was like, well, what's Alateen? And I was like, oh, it's like Al-Anon, but for uh, teenagers. And she goes, what's Al-Anon? And I was like, cool, get it. <laughs> like, I get yeah. it. Yeah. And the, you know, so many of my friends, it's so funny. I have so many friends that I met in school who totally qualify for Al-Anon and Alateen yeah. that don't know what it is. Yeah. Don't know. I heard, I think this was just an acquaintance um, mm-hmm. in AA say, oh, Alateen, that's like AA for teenagers. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so uh, um, that's, I mean, that's sort of an issue too, right? Is not even knowing about it. Yeah. I don't know how it is now. Like, as a teen, these days you've got like that whole internet thing and stuff that yeah. maybe you can find out that these these things exist if you're, if you're looking for it. But, but then the thing is too, you have to get to it. You know, some of them are enough to drive some of them don't have a car some of them you know live yeah. only live with the alcoholic or addict and what are you going to be like oh hey mom can i borrow your car to go uh talk about you at a <laughs> you know so again it goes back to the whole it's much so much less freedom and it's so hard to get out i mean i remember you know there would be carpools sometimes of you know an older teen would have like a bigger car and they'd be like hey I'm I'll get this person oh I drove this person oh okay oh you know what you live closer to this teen or this uh kid and alateen can you grab them or you know like me and all the older teens when we got older we'd be driving everyone all the time or you know if we would hang out you know we would go pick up people cuz mom was passed out on the couch and couldn't drive or mom shouldn't drive or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be so that's an issue you run into as well is, yes, there's the internet and all these great things, but, you know, they have to get, you know, their butts in the seats. <laughs> Looking at your notes here. Things no one teaches teens about Al-Anon. Yeah. So this oh. has something to do maybe with your transition from Al-Anon? Yeah, yeah we, can, we can start talking about that. Yeah. If, if, like, so I aged out at 20 and man, oh man, I had to be dragged into Al-Anon. I was like, screw this. These people are old. They're all going to be married to an alcoholic. My, like the alcoholic I'm dealing right now is one of my friends. <laughs> like All this yeah. stuff. I was, luckily I had a friend and we aged out at the same time and we went to an Alateen meeting where there was an Al-Anon meeting at the same place, same time. So we went over to the Al-Anon meeting and I, and I'm a genuinely happy person, but I don't hide my emotions well. So like when I'm mad, I look mad and I was sitting there with like a sour 
you know, so <laughs> one of the people walked up to me and was like, can you be the timekeeper? And I was like, you, how dare you force me to listen to the meeting? And <laughs> it really did because I had to time it. I had to time everyone's shares. So, which I don't know if that person did that on purpose, but if they did, good for them. But I totally compared rather than identify. And I was like, well, I don't own a house and I don't have a kid who's an alcoholic and blah, 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 you know. Of course, because of that, I got nothing out of it for the first few months. And I would kind of like, it's hard to explain, but you kind of mourn not being a teen anymore Mm -hmm. because all of a sudden you're like, shit, I have to do the work now. I'm not saying that people in Alateen don't do the work, but it's literally like, wait, I have to do the steps now. Wait, I have to like, you know, and I think in Al-Anon people, people hold you accountable more. Whereas in Alateen, the meetings I went to anyways, you know, we had the group sponsors, but we didn't have kind of a sponsor, you know, just working with us. I will say, though, Alateen reminds me a lot of AA in the sense that, you know, people be like, oh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, cool. But how are you really doing? And it's kind of like the the down and dirtiness of AA or that a lot of AA that I know is very similar to Alateen, where it's just like, this is the issue. And, you know, it's, it's very much uh, more dire situation than I feel like a lot of Al-Anon meetings. We're too socialized in Al-Anon, you know. Yeah, exactly. Too polite. Exactly. So, so yeah, when I transitioned, it was, it was hard and I was sad and I was grieving and it all happened. You know, I was in college and making the transition in college is very difficult. I've known a few people who have done it. You know, all of a sudden you go to college and you're like, wait, I have no meetings anymore. I have to start from the ground up or there's no meetings around me or I don't have time for meetings because I'm taking six classes and trying to pass them all or whatever. So it was, it was hard. And I, I struggled a lot and I was mad at people who, uh, you know, I was friends with uh, who were like a year below me, so to speak, like the class below me and didn't have to age out. But eventually I was kind of like, okay, Think of all the work that you did in Alateen and all the amazing things you learned and heard. And maybe that can even increase if you sit down, shut up, and listen. And if you do the work <laughs> and if you do the steps and if you get a sponsor, call me crazy, but it might work. And it might actually, you know, like these people have been saying, work and do you wonders, which it has. And I'm 24 and like I'm on my fourth step right now, which I feel like is going to take me 800 years. But, you know, how many people get this chance and get oh, this, this toolbox at life at 20? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm like, why don't I take advantage of this now? Because then I can be further along earlier as opposed to someone who finds program at 40. And, you know, they they have to start from there. You know, I, I found program like really started going to program when I was 17 and I found it at 14. So I have this, like you bet your ass I'm going to work it as hard as I can because why not? Yeah. I was, um, 46. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. I'm trying to do the math in my head. So I could be <laughs> off by, you know, a year or something, but I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue. Mm-hmm. And, and I, when I heard of Al-Anon before I finally hit my knees and, and crawled through the door, uh, I was like, I don't need no 
stinking 12 step mm-hmm. program, right? Um, different words that I won't say on the podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've, I've had similar sentiments, not, not my problem, right? Exactly. Uh, but it, yeah, yeah, it was turned out it was darn it. Question for you. What's the youngest person you've ever seen in an Al-Anon meeting? We occasionally get teens. I think partly because of the lack of Alateen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to actually look look it up, like in the service manual or something. There is no age requirement for Al-Anon per se. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, people say, like, well, these kids are too young. They should be going to Alateen meeting. I'm like, the Al-Anon conference literature, you know, does not say mm-hmm. anything and it's about also that. Like- it's also like, well, what Alateen meeting? Like, what Alateen? Exactly. Yeah. It's like, um, if but you're so concerned terms, about them not being in your meeting, start a meeting. <laughs> in, in terms of more regular attendance, I think I would say probably in their 20s. Mm-hmm. I do live in a college town. Mm. And so we do get a certain number of of college students coming in. A couple of the meetings that I go to are at the time of very large AA meetings. And occasionally uh, we get... Um, people wandering over, like, I don't feel like going to AA tonight, I'll go to Elanon, or I'm feeling like Elanon tonight. Both of those meetings have, I think, a fair number of young people in them, which is awesome that people are finding recovery early in totally. life. And I can't tell from my, is this person 20 or is this person 30? Mm-hmm. There is a person that, a friend of mine that for years I thought was 20-something, turns out, no, they're like, they're 30-something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know? no, I run into I, that problem too as I get older. I kept asking him, like, did you know so-and-so at school? Well, no, because it was like 10 years later, right? <laughs> <laughs> so obviously they didn't, they didn't overlap with this person. But yeah, we, we get, um, uh, you know, a number of young people, but many of my meetings, I'll look around and the youngest person in there is probably in their upper thirties. Okay. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's still typical. Um, the the meeting that I went to first and is probably the largest Elena meeting in the area. They they often get a hundred people at the meeting. Wow! Spun off a meeting that the the some of the younger people in that meeting created a separate meeting. They wanted it to be a young people's meeting. Yep. And apparently the the World Service Office said, "Well, you can't actually say that." Mm-hmm. So they called it young at heart. Oh yeah, we have. Oh my gosh, that's so funny because a lot of us aged out within like three years. So when I say us, let's say there was a core. There was like a core group in the state of maybe thirty or forty of us, uh-huh. and we, me and my friend, aged out. Everyone kind of aged out, but me and my friend were the first ones to go to Al-Anon and really stick with it. A couple of people kind of like blurped in and out, or you know. A big thing that unfortunately happens when people graduate Alateen is they fall off the face of the earth and you just don't. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess. Um, so it was always interesting to see what people are going to do when they quote unquote graduate. So yeah, so then a couple people followed after us and then that and then that. And now there's about maybe eight or 10 of us that I grew up with, so to speak, where we're in Al-Anon and we tried to start a young people's meeting where it was, we said it was geared towards young people and we actually had, we voted it in. It didn't successfully, um, wasn't successful because where we had it, um, it was one of the members 
uh, it was her office. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. rent got too high. Mm-hmm. So she moved and we just kind of never found another place. But I've heard back in Massachusetts, the friend I actually aged out with is uh, starting up a young people's meeting, which is awesome. In the opening, we had that we had voted in that if you were this meeting was geared toward people aged 17 to 35. And if you were above the age of 35, you let everyone who is under speak, and then you would have your chance to speak. So whether or not that is, um, you know, would be approved by, you know, World yeah. Service yeah. or anything like that, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, there's there's tradition for about yep. autonomy, except right. in matters affecting another group or Al-Anon as a whole, right? Yeah. I so it's kind of like, well, but, and then it conflicts with tradition three about the only requirement for membership is that there right. be um, a problem. Right. But, but there are men's meetings, there are women's meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah. One of the so meetings. how do those, I mean, what's, right. I, I'm like, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Oh yeah. I see meetings, you know, there's LGBT meetings, right. there's um, Spanish speaking meetings. There's a meeting I went to, it's, probably the best meeting I've ever been to. It was one of my, it was my home group. Actually, I was the GR there for a little while. It was a parents meeting. So it was for parents of alcoholics and addicts. And let me tell you that room was packed every freaking week, at least 35 to 50 people every week. And this was in, you know, I'm from like, I'm from the suburbs. Everyone that came in, my kid's a heroin addict, my kid's a heroin addict, my kid does pills and went and did to her. And it really helped me because at that time, some of my friend's some of their drinking really kicked up. Mm. And that's another thing too, that I'm, I'm glad I brought up. I wanted to talk about where that's a real weird place to be in when you start to see drinking problems and you're affected by your friend, a lot of your friends or some of your friends are drinking. You're kind of like, Hey, are you doing this? Cause you're 22 and living your life. Are you doing this because, you know, and, and that can be hard, especially if you, you, you know, have um, grown up with them or met them in program or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but also I feel like the youth that are in Alateen may be more at risk than, Oh yeah. You know, general population, right? Oh yeah. My mom says it all the time. An acronym for yet is you're eligible to. <laughs> I know she says that all the time and it's true. You know, she, she would tell me, you know, she's been, like I said, been sober in NA, AA, um, and NA as well. And she would always say, you know, she'd go to meetings with women in prison and she'd be sitting across from them and she would think the only difference between us is they got caught and I didn't. So she tells me all the time, she's like, you know, you're eligible too. And the meeting, the um, parents meeting helped me so much because, you know, when you're a parent, I'm obviously not a parent, but when you're a parent, you know, the kid, if you're a good parent, you know, is your life and this is, you protect them. And, and then all of a sudden, wait, they're, they're an addict, they're an alcoholic. What did I do wrong? You know, the love's still there. And when I started to see my friends drinking really kick up, you know, it made me think, it was the first time in my life that I had dealt with active disease right in front of me with someone who I had a good relationship with. Mm-hmm. Because in my family, you know, like I said, my mom's been sober. My Pepe, he died 34 years sober. He died when I was eight. But everyone else in the family, I'm not particularly close with. Some of it is because of the disease and some of it is for other reasons. And that's a lot of grief and anger work that I've had to work through because I, you know, I've never had 
that relationship with a grandparent. So, and I had always kind of like known that they were alcoholics or addicts, but I had never really been around it. A lot of it was kept secret for me and kind of kept behind closed doors. I don't know if that was just because I was too young. I'm like the youngest grandkid or if it because my family was trying to protect me or whatever. So all of a sudden I have this, all this disease in my face and I'm like, wait a second. Like, and I didn't know how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. So it really kicked my program into high gear, you know, dealing with a couple of my friends drinking and kind of, and I was experiencing, okay, they're driving drunk down this highway. What do I do? And I would have the keys in my hands. And my mom's like, it's two in the morning. Like, what are you going to do? You know, and I was all these things that I'd been hearing about for years and years and years. I was like, oh, I'm experiencing this now. Oh, it's not just the emotional loss. It's, it's this, you know, the anxiety of where, where are they, where are they, what are they doing? How can I help? How can I save them kind of thing? I was going to ask, is it also a component of that, that you feel like you ought to be able to do something. Totally. Totally. I'm like, wait, I'm their friend. I know them like no one else or, you know, we're really close. And the thing is too, with my friends whose drinking affects me, I knew them, like I knew them before. So I'm like, wait, they're making really bad decisions or unhealthy decisions. Where's the person that I knew two years ago who was like too scared to go to the party or like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. what, wait, what happened? So it's, you, you literally see this shift or, you know, like uh, my friends, you know, they'll, they'll sober up and it's like, oh, it's like wave. The, it's like the reverse of the Cinderella when she, the fairy godmother waves the magic wand and like they go back to like, you know, their person and you're like, wait, so that, that parents meeting really helped me because the feelings and situations they were describing to me were really similar. And I could really identify with a lot of what they were saying because of all the things that were happening with my friends. That's amazing. Like <laughs> I wouldn't have thought, <laughs> you know, Yeah. but it's, it, what you were saying earlier, when you first came into Elanon, you were comparing and yeah. what I hear from this experience is identifying, like you're taking the parts of what they're saying that you connect with and yeah, it's not your kid, it's your friend, but mm -hmm. there's still those feelings. There's still those, like I should be able to do something. And where is this person that I know? Because yeah, I hear that from parents, right? Mm -hmm. Like what happened to my sweet child? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it's so sad. Um, I, hate I, I have that question about <laughs> my kids from time to time, and it's not about drinking drugs. It's just like, right. what? How do you make these decisions? Uh, but mm -hmm. you know, they are. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> they are who they are, and exactly. you know, something happened to one of my kids recently, and I was like, "What were you thinking?" But at the same time, I was like, "I totally." Like, this is totally this kid. Like, you yeah. Know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or like, yeah. And and the thing is, and this makes me want to like hit him over the head. Like, I have a couple friends who I knew from Alice and I'm like, how do we know each other? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, what are you? Wait, you know, you know this. You know what happens. You know, you know, not like someone who's not in program or hasn't grown up in program has an excuse, but I'm like, you would think, and then this is me rationalizing this right. disease, which this isn't a rational disease. Me trying to be like, well, wait, okay, this is the formula. If you did this and you were an allotene for X many years, then bubble, you know, and I'm kind of like, I'm trying to figure out why in my head. And there, there is no why the why is there, you know, they have a problem. The why is the disease. Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
Why yeah. does why does somebody get cancer? Right. Um, you know, when a mm-hmm. friend's daughter died at thirty five of breast cancer, I was like, why? Yeah. It's not supposed to happen, but it happens, and there there is mm-hmm. not a why. It's that the there is a disease, and and the disease doesn't play any favorites. No. Oh my God. No. And, and just not. knowing about the disease does not necessarily immunize you. Yeah. I mean, you hear it. I hear it a lot. I go to when I'm when I'm home or when I was living at home, I went to a lot of opening a meetings yeah. with my mom or, you know, I'd go to anniversaries or I would speak at anniversaries. Plus to, you know, at the conventions, you know, I would go to roundups and other states conventions. And we have a joke. We have a, <laughs> I have a friend in Al-Anon who we always joke like, oh, yep, at work, he just looks up other states conventions and then like sends them out to us and is like, so Vermont's in two weeks, like Maine's in three months. And we're like, okay, <laughs> like, thanks. We'll put it in our calendar. <laughs> Yeah, when I hear, you know, how many times do you hear an AA speaker say, yep, my dad was an alcoholic, or my mom was an alcoholic, or I grew up, you know, it's like, it's this, it's generational. Like, you can oh, yeah. see it in my family. It was my great-grandfather, and then his son, who was my grandfather, and then my grandfather has two kids, my mom and her brother, and then, you know, it's it's like, you can literally see it. Yeah. I have a friend who's a double winner. Mm-hmm. As I think all AAs should be, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> yeah. They all qualify. Let me let me rephrase that. They all qualify. They all have friends and relatives who are alcoholics and yeah. addicts, right? He says before his grandmother died, and he's about my age, so mm-hmm. um his grandmother died a while ago, I guess. He said, but before she died, she helped him identify alcoholism in seven generations of their family. Yeah. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, grandparents, great grandparents, kids, grandkids. I mean, it's just permeates, mm-hmm. permeates families. It does. It, and it's, everyone's affected differently. Like, for me, I always say I grew up, you know, with a middle finger on my forehead. <laughs> I was mad at the world and everything was F this and F that. And I hate. Anger is like a go-to emotion for me. There's a joke. <laughs> There's a running joke that like every convention's like, yep, Genevieve's in the anger meeting. Yep, Genevieve's in the, like my, uh, one of my friends, we were at a roundup and he was like, oh, what meeting you're going to next? And I was like, oh, anger. And he was like, really? I'm shocked. But <laughs> I, so yeah, j- joke is uh, Genevieve's always in the anger meeting. That's what affected me because I was just pissed. I'm like, I just want like a grandmother to bake cookies with. And like Mm. my grandma's like falling off bar stools at like 82 and fracturing her femur. Like, you know, or like my, my grandmother, you know, did not, my dad's parents unfortunately passed before I was born, but my maternal grandmother, like, you know, no interest in a relationship there. And that stuff I've had to work through Mm. both Alateen and Al-Anon has helped me with that because you know, I've learned that she did not, she does not, she's still alive. She does not have the capacity to love me the way I need her to love me. Mm-hmm. And I don't know the reason for that. And I don't need to know the reason for that, but that's just how it is. And I need to let go of that because it's just, it's not, it's like a cesspool. It's not doing anything good for me or our relationship or anyone else who has to hear about it. Yeah. But that's the big thing that Al-Anon taught me. And that's why I read the reading I did because I got the family I never had. And I got these people and these adults that I look up to who, yeah, they're not my aunt or uncle or grandmother or whatever, but feels like it. And I do things with them that I've wanted to do with my family that I haven't been able to do or can't do. 
Yeah. So I am reminded of part of the step one reading from the book, How Al-Anon Works. Mm -hmm. We may never have the family of our dreams or win the love of those who have no love to give. And the reading that you gave us is, but we can find love. Exactly. We can find love in in our, our program family. I could honestly, if I thought about it, I don't cry a lot, but Al-Anon gets me every time. I could cry if I really thought about it, where I hear I hear stories, and the best is when you see it, too. Like, when you see someone have their breakthrough, or you see someone say, you know what, I found my higher power, or, you know what, this person, I need to kick them out of my life, or whatever their breakthrough is, and you see it happen. I, I swear it's like magic. It's like I once heard that seeing someone over, you know, in terms of the, you know, someone being an addict or alcoholic, seeing someone overcome addiction is like seeing someone overcome terminal cancer, you know? Yeah. It really is magic. And we have such a gift. And, you know, there's a reason that my, you know, my, uh, my boyfriend and I have a bookshelf. There's a reason my bookshelf is halfway filled with Al Anon books. You know, people are like, they're, you know, they're like, you're so, you know, you're very mature and like introspective and aware. And I'm like, yeah, like (laughs) I've been in, I've been hearing, you know, awareness and things like that since I was 14. But yeah, that's why I love this program is because like I said before, everyone just gets it. There is one thing I did want to talk about here that I haven't touched on, which is MAC. And that is the Massachusetts Alateen Conference. It It's very special to me. Basically what it is, is the last weekend in July every year, this has been going on, I don't know, like 40, 40 years, 30, 40 years. It's out of college. And we've recently switched colleges, which is great because this is like the Taj Mahal compared to where we were. It has like air conditioning and everyone has their own room and it's great. But anyways, so it's out of college for a weekend and it's only teens and only amiuses. It is wonderful. And the teens, there's a teen chair, there's a teen co-chair, or, and then there's a, an adult chair and an uh, adult co-chair. And then there's secretary ways and means. And, you know, teens can be ways and means, or we actually have an archival position now where someone is archiving all the the Macs. And it's a beautiful weekend. And it's from teens all over the state. You go, there's a, a dance, there's meetings every day. There's, they spend Spencer like $300, $400 going to Costco or BJ's and just getting food. So there's like tables of snacks and it's like Twizzlers and coffee and cookies and goldfish and yogurt and like fruit and it's and you don't sleep and you're sugar high (laughs) and you just go to meetings and it is like the best meetings every day on all different kinds of topics they have a speaker meeting on saturday so they bring someone in from aa and al-anon and they also i hate saying this but like back in my day um (laughs) back when i was in alateen they would pick the Alateen speaker the day of. So they the teen chair and coach would go up to me like, hey, you're the Alateen speaker tonight. So you couldn't say no because so many <laughs> teens were so scared. So I don't know if they do that anymore. Yeah, and there's an Alateen speaker and then they have a dance and they have a DJ come in. There's a pool, they have free time. You know, you room with your friends and there's no time you have to go to bed. There are quiet hours. So for instance... Like there's a girl side and a boy side, and then there's two nurses that go, so that's all covered. You know, teens who need their meds, all the meds are kept in the the nurses room, and they go overnight or day or whatever. Like there's quiet hours, but there's you know no one's like okay it's nine p.m. go to bed. 
so yeah, if you're in the lobby, you know, you have to be quieter and you can't be screaming and you have to be inside, but it's like the freedom that these kids get for one weekend that some of them don't get the rest of the year and they can talk about what they want. And we have something called the roots meeting, which is the roots of self-destruction where, you know, the teens, a lot of comes up as, you know, like self-mutilation and abuse and mental health issues and things like that. And um, it's called the crying meeting for a reason. It's grouped by ages. So I believe it's 12 to 14, 14 to 17, and then 17 to 19. So there's different age groups. And they do that because a lot of teens have siblings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're 18, you might not want your 14-year-old sibling to hear what you're saying in this. So that's wonderful. And then on Sunday, they have a God meeting, which, you know, you just say what you're grateful for the weekend. And then they do a hug line where you you're line up in two lines in front of each other and you hug the other person like in front of you and you say things to them and you say nice things and everyone's crying and it's beautiful. And then we all get shirts with the color of the weekend and everyone signs each other's shirts mm. with some um, special messages. And that weekend saved my life. And I mean that in every sense of the phrase saved my life for year after year. And I was lucky enough as an Amius to go a couple times but it's special. And that's the stuff that I'm like, yeah, we might not have a ton of meetings in the state, but if we have Mac, then that's amazing. It's great. It's a beautiful weekend. So I don't know if you have anything like that where it's just the teens, but that's something that's really special to my recovery as a teen and as an amius. I have heard, and it sounds like it's very similar um, in this area, there's, they call it COMIAC, which stands for mm-hmm. Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Alateen Convention. Oh, wow. Okay. And I have heard uh, from teens who go there what an amazing weekend it is. It sounds like it's probably pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if somebody's listening and they're not in Massachusetts or Kentucky, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, look around. Talk to the that. Alateen sponsors or the Al Anon members in Sir Alateen service, AMS, right? Yes. And say, hey, is there is there this thing? Well, I'm going to ask my standard question here. Although you've, I know you've said it throughout, but if you encountered somebody who is where you were as a teenager or as a young adult, and they're they're not yet connected to Alateen or Alanon. What might you say when they're like, oh, man, my life sucks. This is going on, blah, blah, blah. I would probably say, of course, it, you know, I wouldn't offer Alateen and Al-Anon as a, a solution. But I think a big thing for me was knowing you're not alone. And that even though your experiences might not match the cookie cutter definition of being affected by alcoholism or being an adult child, your feelings are valid and your experiences are valid. And if you feel affected by the disease then you have been affected by the disease, just to remember that there is help. And like I said, you're not alone just to, to go and try program and see how it works for you. And if you don't like it, don't go back, but at least give it a try because what else do you have to lose? Hmm. And <laughs> you know, just keep the focus on yourself and keep moving forward. Thank you. You're welcome. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And you picked some music. 
Yeah. So the first song I picked is um, where you can listen to on the website at the recovery.show slash 301 is John Mayer with In the Blood. And I will read a little bit of the lyrics of it just so everyone can kind of have an idea of what it means to me. How much like my brothers do my brothers want to be? Does a broken home become another broken family? Or will we be there for each other like nobody ever could? Does it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? Mm. And for me, that just sort of says, okay, we come from, like it says, this broken family, but that does that mean we'll continue it? Or will we get over it and learn from it and be able to be rid of it? Or is it within us? And I know being an Alateen and a lot of the teens are saying, okay, so my parent has this. Does that mean I'll have this? So when I first heard that song, that's the the line that really spoke to me. Yeah. And we don't know, do we? Mm-mm. Like, like I said, yet yeah, you're eligible too. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. I'll give you a little bit of break from talking while I think about what what's going on. In my, well, one thing is the 300th episode of the recovery show. I want ju- I just want to thank everybody who who sent in their share. Uh, you know, I put that out there, and I was like, I wonder if I'm going to get anybody, and it was like 30 people or something. And over 20 voicemails. I mean, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. But also that episode was different to put together than most of them because of all the, all the sharings from all the different people and all the voicemails. And I was almost done putting it together. And the program that I use for editing the podcast crashed and it crashed in such a way that it basically destroyed all the work that I had done so far. It didn't destroy the original. So I could go back and start over, but I was just for a couple of days I was like Actually that that expresses it very well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was kind of a depression. Like oh how am I going to make this work because I have no guarantee that this won't happen again. And, and I put all this energy in and now I just don't have it. My program told me, well, it happened. What are you going to do? Right. Except the things I cannot change and change the things I can. So I decided that I wasn't going to trust that piece of software again, just like, you know, there are certain people in my life that I don't trust emotionally and particularly if they're drinking I decided that piece of software had been drinking and I wasn't <laughs> going to trust it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so I went out and, and paid money and I want to thank all the people who support the show that I had the money to pay, um, to buy a piece of software that I was able to use to put the show together. But that was the courage to change the things I could. I, I, I hesitated on pulling that trigger and I finally said, look, this is, this is the only way I'm going to get it done. I have to do this thing. So, that was good. We got a new dog. Um, our dog, as longtime listeners to the show probably know, um, we had to say goodbye to our dog about a year and a half ago. 
And that was rough. You know, grief is a thing that I had to work through. And we started talking earlier this year about can we, can we welcome a new dog into our family? Uh, and we decided yes. And so we met VJ on Monday and we formally adopted him on Friday. So I've had him for less than 24 hours. And last night, again, when he's like, I don't, I don't know how to do these stairs things. I don't do stairs. <laughs> okay, you can sleep downstairs. But but I'm lonely. And I was like, what did we get ourselves into? What? You know? <laughs> but we did, right? I decided, okay, we're going to try the stairs one more time. And basically, I, I walked him up the stairs, lifting one foot at a time. This is a 75-pound dog, so I'm not carrying him up the stairs, right? And he got up there, and and, uh, he settled down, and and he slept the night, and then we had a similar issue getting him down the stairs in the morning. But it's what we signed up for, right? And sometimes, I mean, we sign up for things, and we don't understand all of the the consequences. We thought we understood. We thought Mm -hmm. we knew, based on our experience with the previous dog, who was a different dog. Right. Mm. So this is a thing that's happening and, and acceptance is a huge part of it, but also the love that you get from a, from a dog is like, he's like, you're my people. I don't want you to leave me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, exactly. You know, I go in the kitchen. He doesn't want to come in the kitchen. He doesn't like the tile floor and he stands at the door and he's like, "Eh, eh." Even though there's food in the kitchen, so uh, yeah. so that's a thing. That's a thing that's happening, and uh, and it's a good thing. But it also has its challenges, as to just about all good things in life, right? Mm-hmm. So, how about you? How are you using the program in your life these days? It's definitely been difficult to get to meetings, just because my job is the timings are inconsistent. But I was lucky enough that when I moved um, back to Toronto after school, I found a meeting that is a 15-minute walk away from my apartment. So I try to get to that whenever I can. So I moved into this new apartment. And when I moved back, I hadn't gotten a job yet. So I had a lot of alone time, which is I don't like because it makes me think. And then down the rabbit hole we go. So I would take walks a lot. And every time I would walk by my apartment building to go in, I'd see the grass and it's it's getting kind of long and uh, the weather's getting nicer. And, you know, every day I come in, it's getting a little longer, a little longer. And then my mom came to visit with one of my Al-Anon friends. And I'm like, Mom, look at this grass. Look how long it is. And they're just not cutting it. I'm like, and look at that person's grass and that person's grass. And theirs is so nice. My mom was like, okay, Genevieve, well, if you're that concerned about the grass, why don't you call the property manager and do something about it? And I was like, oh, yeah, complaining doesn't change anything. <laughs> and I went, I'm not, ta- um, Spencer, it was like the world was ending. I was like, and this person's grass? And I would say to my boyfriend, and he probably wanted to jump out the window, I, it was this grass. So I called the property manager and I leave a message. And it, I, it wasn't rude, but it definitely wasn't nice. And she calls me back and she's like, the next day, and she's like, I'm so sorry. We just got a new contractor. So there was a little bit of time gap. I'm so sorry. I was like, no, it's okay. And then literally as we're on the phone, I hear the lawnmower go and the guy started cutting the grass. There you go. 
And I was like, okay. And now every time I walk by the grass fence, I'm like, look at my nice grass. Look how nice it is. And I make sure to say how nice it is as much as I said how long it was. And it's so funny. And I, like, here I was complaining and there was totally another issue that I had no idea about because it's all about me. And it ended up getting done like it always does. And I just didn't let go quick enough. Let go or be dragged. Story of my life. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I don't know what's coming up in the podcast. I'm I'm planning ahead about three days at a time. No, not really. Actually, next week I have another uh, guest who's signed up to be on the show. And so we'll be sharing that person's experience, strength, and hope. We welcome, you know, your thoughts, your participation in our conversation. And how can people do that? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at therecovery.show. We'd love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or questions. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. Spencer, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? Well, that's our website, which is therecovery.show. And how many times have we said that already? (laughs) (laughs) Where we have all the information about the show, notes for each episode, links to the music, and also put in links to books and so on that we might have referenced during the episode so that you can find the stuff that we talk about. And if I forget to stick in a link, please, please let me know because I can go back and do it. We'll take a short break before diving into our mailbag. Our second musical selection available on the website is Castle on the Hill by Ed Sheeran. So this song I actually quoted when I spoke. I was the transitional speaker at the Alateen, excuse me, the Al-Anon and Alateen convention. So I was talking about similar experiences to here and this song had just come out and I really identified with it. So I actually quoted it when I spoke, but the quote that really uh, resonates with me is one friend left to sell clothes. One works down by the coast. One, two, one had two kids, but lives alone. One's brother overdosed. One's already on his second wife. One's just barely getting by, but these people raised me and I can't wait to go home. The reason that means resonates with me so much is while some of us might that age out might not go into Al-Anon or whatever and have different lives and experience different things. We all has have this experience that brought us together. A lot of the people in Alateen really did raise me and teach me how to be a good person and a person with dignity and who is respectful and who respects themselves as well. So that's why I picked that song. Thanks. I want to thank everybody who wrote and called this week. I'll start with a voicemail from Terry. Spencer, what a gift you are. What a gift your show is. This is Terry. Thank you so much for the recovery show. I am current on the episodes after much binging, and I really enjoy being current. And I especially love the last couple that spoke. Um, 
the program has helped me so very much. I have had whirling dervishes all around me, and I'm 80 miles from where I do most of my work, so your program has really helped me to stay in my program, uh, especially I was impacted by the program that has the Asanam speaker. Never even knew there was such a thing. Uh, although I did many years ago attend uh, the other side of that program um, meeting, it did not work out well for me. <laughs> Let's just say I acted out. So I was very, very encouraged to hear that there's on meetings. I don't think there are any in my area, but I have no doubt that there's a great need for them, and I'm considering uh, maybe trying to start trying to start one. So, so glad that you're there, and I so appreciate the input that people add to the program. Truly feels divinely inspired. Thank you. Bye for now. Terry, thanks for calling. You know, sometimes I wonder, I think, do I want to throw in this non, non-Elanon non material? Um, but then I hear from people like you who are like, wow, I didn't even know this was there. And this, that was so helpful. So yeah, we're going to keep on, uh, we're going to keep on mixing it up. You know, we are going to focus on the recovery from the effects of other people's behavior kind of issues, but not just alcohol. Yeah. Any any thoughts on what Terry had to say, Genevieve? It always gives me goosebumps when I hear someone who's been in program for a while and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I never knew this thing existed. And I actually did listen to the, um, the Ethanon episode. And while I haven't been affected um, by anyone's sexual addiction, I thought it was really, really interesting, especially how similar the programs are. And it just really... Um, showed me how unified we all are because of this disease of addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, food, shopping, work, working out, spending money, gambling, whatever it is. And it it made me so happy to listen to your podcast because you're bringing this to so many people who don't even know about it. Thank you. Lydia left a, a comment on the website. She writes, I became aware of your podcast at an AA meeting when someone talked about hearing alcoholism being likened to dancing with a gorilla. <laughs> I'm listening to number 285, Contentment and Happiness. And you mentioned that you listened to Radical Acceptance during the long trip home after dropping a child off at grad school in Connecticut. Is that a CD of the book Radical Acceptance or something else? Thanks, Lydia. And I responded to Lydia and said, yeah, it was a CD of the book by Tara Brock titled Radical Self-Acceptance, actually, is the full title of the book. I talked about that, I think, in quite a bit more detail in episode number 36, titled Self-Acceptance and Self-Esteem, which must have been shortly after I had took that trip. <laughs> Oy vey. A little blast from the past for me. Uh, all right, we have a voicemail from Anique. Hello, Spencer. This is Anique calling from the Netherlands, Amsterdam, to congratulate you on the 300th episode. I just wanted to say congrats from uh, my home group 
in Amsterdam because uh, it's about one year ago that I discovered your uh, podcast. Uh, I was in between meetings and I was really grasping uh, air because of hurt, because my son's addiction uh, was uh, not going in the right direction at that time. I just uh, started about a year Eleanor, and in between meetings I thought there must be a podcast or something to help me and I found your podcast and I shared it also in my home group that I had a lot of benefits from listening to a podcast and after the meeting they all asked uh, what's that podcast and so when I talked about it in the last meeting afterwards everybody said do say congratulations to Spencer and uh, his podcast, because also in the Netherlands, your podcast does a lot of good. And I just wish for you to continue and to thank you. And also, for example, Eric, for all the shares and all the help I've had during holidays or moments I couldn't reach anybody. And it's going uh, much better. Have a great, great, great celebration. Thank you very much from the Netherlands, Amsterdam. Bye. Well, thank you for calling. That's that's pretty amazing. We can phone call from, from Europe. I don't know. <laughs> I encourage, if you're getting benefit from the podcast, to do share it with your friends. My preference is do that before or after meetings. Don't advertise it in a meeting because that really doesn't align with the Al-Anon traditions of keeping Al-Anon, Al-Anon um, and not bringing in outside materials. We're not, we're not a, an Al-Anon meeting, but we obviously, a lot of people find value. I sometimes mention in meeting, hey, I do a podcast and I might mention, hey, I listen to some podcasts, but I don't push it on people in the meeting. But thank you for sharing it with your friends. I mean, I've shared it in two Facebook groups that I'm in that are based off a of program. One was Alateen and the other was a uh, people who have aged out and um, one of my friends now listens to it. So definitely share. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Uh, Nancy called. Hi Spencer. This is Nancy in Northern California. I just left, left you a voicemail. Oh, a few days ago for your episode 300. This voicemail is in response to episode 295, I think, or 294. I don't know, it's the one where Carrie speaks. And at the second half of that episode, you had a caller named Sarah who called in, and she wanted to uh, perhaps start a discussion about loved ones who have died from the disease of alcoholism. And I would really love to join that discussion or help with that episode. I've lost an uh, ex-husband to late stages alcoholism, and I lost a daughter to the disease as well. I would love to support people who have had that loss and are still continuing to recover in spite of that loss, as I'm doing. So I would very much like to participate in that. Thank you. And, and thank you, Nancy. I think I've had a few people now respond to that, that email, and I should get myself into the planning phase of, of an episode on loss because how many of us, oh my goodness, have, uh, have had that experience. Can you read the uh, email from Ashley? Hello. In one of your early podcasts, you referenced a film. I believe it was made by AA. 
You played a clip of the film during your podcast. I was hoping you could tell me the name of the film as I can't find the podcast now. And if you know any of any way of borrowing a copy or watching it online, I thought it was in podcast number 27, but I couldn't find it. Any help would be greatly appreciated. Ashley from Alberta. And I had to go dig and I did not find the episode in which it was referenced, but I'm pretty sure that the film that Ashley's talking about is called The Anonymous People. It was released in 2013, which is about the right time frame for it to be around episode 27 somewhere. And I swear, I thought I had a link to the trailer in, in one of the um, episode show notes, but I, I just couldn't find it today. It is still available online. And at the time it came out, uh, there were several of us uh, involved with this podcast and another podcast who went to see a showing of it locally. I'm going to put links to IMDb listing and at least one place where you can you can stream it online if you're interested in watching it. They do also have the trailer there, which the, the movie itself, they want like three or four bucks to, to watch it. You can watch the trailer for free, of course, because they want you to watch the movie. Any movie... Um that has to do with like A or Al-Anon, it's up my alley, so that's going on my list. Yeah. The movie is really about a movement of people in recovery who identify themselves publicly as being in recovery. Mm. And that for a lot of people in in the anonymous programs, it's kind of like, well, what? Yeah. I mean, they they do keep to the Al-Anon AA tradition of not identifying themselves as members of a particular 12-step group. They just say, I'm a person in long-term recovery. What that means for me is that I have not, you know, had a drink since whatever date. Mm-hmm. And and the theme is that it's really important to get that message out that recovery is possible. And it's about the recovery. It's not about the disease. Totally. So yeah, it was a it was a powerful film, and and watching it in an auditorium full of people who are in recovery was even more powerful. But, That's fantastic. Uh, let's see, we got another voicemail. We got one from Philip. Hello, Spencer. I was recently listening to your 300th episode, and I was struck by the number of first time or close to first time Al-Anon members that had left messages thanking you for either easing their way into the meetings or being a meeting or or um, being you know part of their program and i it struck me that uh, it would be great to have that as a topic that being the first meetings a primer and i think that would be very helpful for those who are thinking about the program but fearful of going to meetings for all the things that we've all experienced and now we laugh about, for going to um, their first meetings and understanding what to expect, what what might happen, what we all deal with, and might actually bring more people to the rooms or more people to feel comfortable going to the rooms the first times. Anyway, my name is Philip, by the way. I live in Santa Cruz, and I really enjoy your podcast for the last number of years. And keep up the great work. Thank you. Bye-bye. Philip, thank you. We did have an episode early on. Episode number 26 was titled Our First Meetings. And so there were three or four of us, I think, talking about the experience we had. Oh, it says Spencer, Kelly, and Swetha, along with seven other Al-Anon members, talk about their first meeting or meetings. 
So that's a place to start, but I think it's time to come around to that one again. I think that would be a great, a great episode just to hear about everyone's, everyone's first time. Cause there's such a wide variety of experience and, you know, some people came into Al-Anon and didn't stay or, you know, went back a few years later or were dragged in or crawled in or found it through AA or, you know, I know some people who found AA through Al-Anon yep. that as well. I know someone who told me she would always uh, identify with the AA speaker at conventions and she was like, mm, I think this is an issue. Yeah, I think that's definitely a put it in your roster. Okay. You know, I have a big long list of topics and then I'm sh- I just do I'm whatever sure. comes to me, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and every now and then I go look at it. I'm like, oh, we could do that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Kathy sent an email. First thing she says is the links to Amazon on your website are not working. And I tried them. They work for me. So that's confusing. One thing I will note is that I think they only work if you're actually in the U.S. So if that's the case, if you're outside the U.S., thank you for thinking of us. You know, give a little more money to your local Al-Anon meeting. Anyway, she continues, I've mentioned your podcast to several of my friends after meetings. There are times when I cannot get to a meeting and I need a calm voice in my head to replace the crazy ones. You have such a calming, patient voice. It helps me to slow down and process what is going on. There are times when a saying from your show will come to mind, like no is a complete sentence. And it's been so very helpful. I've said the serenity prayer so many times, but only just recently realized that it takes courage to say no. I have a stressful job and those around me can be very demanding. The thought, what is urgent is seldom important, helps me do the work without reacting to the drama surrounding it. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Best, Kathy. Yeah. I've never heard that before. What is urgent is seldom important. I love that. Because there is a difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Look at it. See? <laughs> always learning. <laughs> right always there. learning. That's amazing. I don't think I always had a calming patient voice. I think that's program working, working for me. One last voicemail from Anonymous. Yeah, I've got a question. Uh, my 21-year-old son was doing well after rehab and on fire for God and trying to help his addicted friends to live a better life and then after losing a couple of friends to a drug overdose he started using again and as soon as he starts using I go from being his best friend to his enemy and he won't speak to us, talk to us, answer a phone call, text or anything, period. Any ideas how to cope with that? Question mark. Oh, man. I think keep working your program. Understand that what's going on in his head is what's leading to this behavior. It's not anything you did. If I could project just a little bit into what I think might be going on in his head, I I would imagine that he is pissed off at himself for going back out. That was certainly true for my wife when she relapsed. She didn't want to relapse. She didn't want to be doing what she was doing. And, you know, she really didn't feel good about it. And she wanted to isolate. She didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to talk about it. She didn't want to, I mean, and, and so I think there may be some of that that's going on there, but it is, it is so hard when somebody you love decides to cut off contact for whatever reason you know, I know that the fellowship of the program helped me in those times. 
Any thoughts on this man's dilemma? Yeah, it's hard. It's not easy, but I completely agree with you. I think he's he's isolating out of anger at himself. You know, alcoholics, and I've heard this said in AA meetings, they love themselves and hate, like love themselves too much and hate themselves too much all at the same time. Mm. I know very few people who are happy when they, they relapse or who have been happy when they relapse. And he's definitely, he's definitely grieving these friends, particularly if he, if he met them in AA or NA or whatever, he might be like, well, screw that. Obviously this program doesn't work because people are dying. Could be that as well. But I think just like Spencer said, remember it, it's nothing you did. And unfortunately, there's nothing you can do. You just have to, you know, put out there that you you care about him and you're there when he needs you and when he's ready to uh, to come in contact again and just send him light and love every time you think of him. Yeah, thank you for saying that because that that's also really important. I think I know you. I know you hate me now, but I'll still be here. Yeah, or whatever it is. I mean. Right. <laughs> I got an email from Mark who wrote to say that there's a bit missing from the Mary Pearl T talk on step one. And I went and checked and indeed there's about two minutes missing. I have no idea how that happened. So I'm going to correct that as soon as I can. I have to download the files off of uh, the cloud and do some new editing there because I have no idea how those how those are gone. But thanks for noticing, Mark, and thanks for pointing it out. I have a question for you, Genevieve. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about going to the AA International Convention that's going to be in Detroit in 2020? I have. My mom is gunning for me to go with her. She's been to a few, and she says they're incredible. One was in Toronto, actually, and they do uh, the sobriety countdown. And she's like, it was a stadium of people just right. counting down sobriety. So I have totally thought about doing it. Obviously, it's it's far away, but I'm. I'm planning to because I wasn't able to go to the last one or the international Al-Anon convention. So I'm really hoping I can go to the AA one. Yeah. Are you? We have a hotel reservation. Look at you go. <laughs> well, Maybe. my, my wife, my wife has been to two, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause she got sober in 2005. So this will be her 14th, 14th anniversary coming up in a few weeks. You know, God willing. So she went to the one in San Antonio, which would have been, I guess, 2010. And then Atlanta in 2015. And I mean, we live 45 minutes from downtown Detroit. So, yeah. But we decided that really to get the most out of it, uh, we don't want to be figuring out how to drive home at whatever hour of the night after, you know, the big meetings in the evening and all that. And and so uh, as soon as hotel reservations were available at the hotel, not even through the conference. She got on the phone and, and booked us a room. We'll be there. Well, we've got room for Friday and Saturday night. And I guess it st- actually starts on Thursday. But So yeah, I'm going to be there. I don't know what I'm going to be doing, but it would be really cool to have some time to meet with listeners to the recovery show. I'm sure I'll be wearing my Luna Moth logo somewhere. Uh, to to make me a little more visible to those in the know. <laughs> if you're going to be there, definitely I'd love to to connect. And she said, yeah, the big meetings are in a stadium. Yeah, like 60,000 people or something in an AA meeting. It just like boggles my mind. But apparently it's really powerful also. 
So yeah, I'm going to be there. Hope to see whoever is coming. If I go, I'll be sure to track you down. All right. <laughs> and I want to thank the people who have been supporting the show, like Craig, Penelope, Sally Ann, Eric, and Patty. And thank you again for your support. And I'll just say thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. That's that phrase you were thinking of, huh? Exactly. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.